0: you've come to worship with us today. There's a Christian writer that I appreciate, his name's Richard Foster, he said that the curse of this age is distraction, the curse of this age is distraction, this age, because he wrote his book uh, like 25 years ago, and 25 years ago he said, uh, the curse of the age is superficiality, that's what he said 25 years ago, and now he's saying today he's still alive. This world is a world of distraction. I wonder if you feel that in your body, in your mind, in your inner being. I mean, maybe one data point would be uh, when you have your computer open and uh, the browser is on the screen, how many tabs do you have open? How many, how many of you have too many tabs to be able to read what is that document? Yeah, I mean, that, that's what I have. That's what I have. Your distraction is uh, death to meaningful relationship. That's true in uh, every household, uh, every uh, romantic encounter, every friendship. To be distracted is, is to not be present with the other. Even if you're distracted by something that's important and good, like to-do list, or you're worried about something for the future on behalf of someone that you're responsible for. Even if it's a good thing to be distracted by that, that is death to a meaningful relationship. And because what it is that we are doing here, devotion and worship, is fundamentally about relationship, distraction is also death to the life of worship, to the life of connection with God. And so all week long, it's been my prayer for you, with all the burdens you're carrying, all the things going on for you, that this space right here would be a space in which everything that's distracting to you would melt away, and that wherever you are on the spiritual journey, even if you're not quite sure you believe in God, nevertheless, you would have some sense that God is here with you. And that there are trustworthy and strong hands into which you could entrust everything that distracts you. And that in trusting all your distractions into these strong and loving hands, that you would see God anew today. And that in seeing God anew today, that you have an experience of his love that satisfies and strengthens your soul. The lens through which we have been looking all fall to focus our attention on the love of God has been the Gospel according to John, the fourth book of the New Testament. And John, if you've been reading along, you might recognize it's different than the other three gospel tellings about Jesus' life. It's a little bit like, in my mind, a beautiful Japanese Kintsugi pottery. Every piece absolutely unique, because that pottery is made of broken pieces put back together again. So every piece of this type of Japanese pottery, absolutely unique and beautiful in its uniqueness. The Gospel of John is kind of like that. There are all kinds of stories that are common to the other gospel texts, Uh, long moral teachings like the Sermon on the Mount. Those don't exist in the Gospel of John. John just talks about love. He talks about love, and it's expressed in extraordinary ways that don't exist in the other Gospel texts. It would take a long time to tell all of the things that are distinct in the Gospel of John, but just to name a few, in chapter 2, Jesus turns water into wine. It's the only place in the gospel text in which he does that. And John is trying to tell us something about how it is that when our joy runs low, Jesus is concerned. What it means for him to be loving in presence is to sustain our joy. In chapters 4 and 8, there are unique perspectives about how it is that Jesus esteems women who are not highly regarded in that time, in chapter 4, a woman at a well that freaked out his disciples that Jesus was talking to her, yet there he was, going out of his way, that she might not thirst. Chapter 8, story of a woman caught in an adulterous affair. Why it is they bring this woman into view and not the man, we could have a long conversation about that. I think it says something about how in that world, there was a greater focus on the morality of women Jesus offering uh, protection and esteem in the context of condemning men. That's what the love of God looks like in the Gospel of John. In chapters 11 and 15, there are beautiful portraits of the reality that Jesus longs for friendship with his disciples. You know, the other gospel texts talk about how Jesus is the friend of sinners, This also being very good news to us. John is telling us that God wants friendship with you. God wants friendship with me. Ordinary people. And then finally for today, I want to say that in the gospel of John, there is a unique articulation of how it is that Jesus foretells our suffering. He foretells our suffering. Now, I don't know about you, but I like the top three better than the fourth. And yet, and yet, we can't really understand the portrait of love that Jesus gives to us in the Gospel of John without dealing with the reality of the suffering that Jesus said would come our way. I know that seems like a bummer to many of us. I want to suggest that it's a beautiful and good thing you and I desperately we need to know in our seasons of suffering, or even if you're just standing close to someone who's suffering, we need to know about a God who sees our suffering and who is with us in the midst of it. Today is designated as the International Day of Prayer for the persecuted church. The persecuted church, that's drawing attention to the reality that all over the world, There are countries, there are communities in which it is not safe to identify oneself as a follower of Jesus. And to identify oneself as a follower of Jesus is to be shunned, is to be isolated, is to be harassed, is to place oneself in physical danger. And today we feel like it's important to recognize that reality, to enter into fellowship with the broader body of Christ and pray for suffering people. So in a bit, we're going to have our friend Robel come and tell us about what's going on in Ethiopia and then to lead us in prayer. Robel, why don't you just wave your hand? Why don't you stand? People can give you a round of applause. All right, let me try to be quick and get out of the way so that Robel can come and lead us. But before he does, I just want to recognize that the topic is a little heavy for us, and especially if you've come with other heavy things on your heart, it may feel hard to give your full heart to Robel. So I'd like to pray for us, and then I'd like to spend some time in the gospel text helping us to see the centrality of this theme so that we can warm to the idea that Jesus wants to speak to us in the midst of it. Before we do to the text, let's pray together. God, thank you for your goodness to us. Thank you for your love expressed in so many unique ways in the Gospel of John. And we today bring our unique burdens, our unique challenges, fully in this space, asking that you meet us in the midst of them. Fill us with your love, open our eyes to your goodness, we pray in Jesus' name, amen. As you read along in the Gospel of John, it becomes very clear that John is writing to a community of people who are under a great deal of pressure. Alongside expressions of God's presence as light, life, and love, There are multiple allusions to persecution. We read about it in John chapter nine, verse 22. Jesus has healed a blind man, but he's healed him on the Sabbath, which is a no-no in their religious world. And so religious leaders come up from Jerusalem and they're investigating the matter. They track down this blind man's parents. And it says that, the blind man's parents were afraid of these jewish leaders who already had decided that anyone who acknowledged that jesus was the messiah would be put out of the synagogue now that phrasing they would be put out of the synagogue that phrase appears over and over again in the gospel according to john for those who are paying attention you see it also in john chapter 12 verse 42 and john 16:2 I won't put them all up because it says the same thing, that there are all these people being threatened to be put out of the synagogue. I want to draw attention to the reality that this in the ancient world is a problem. If you and I were put out of this church, I I think we all might feel bad. I hope you'd feel sad if you got put out of the church. But in all likelihood, there would be some other church that you could participate in It might even be closer to your home. But in the ancient world, to be put out of the synagogue was to be put out of family. It was to be put out of community. And there's a pretty good chance it would have been to be put out of your opportunity to make a livelihood. This was uh, a life-threatening matter. People in... uh, The gospel of John are being put out of the synagogue. And Jesus speaks directly to their condition. That's not just a material issue, but it's emotional as well. In John 15, 18, he says to his disciples, if the world hates you, keep in mind that it hated me first. Anyone codependent out there, needing other people's approval? Jesus speaking to that. He says, if you belong to the world, it would love you as its own. As it is, you do not belong to the world, but I have chosen you out of the world. And this is why it is that the world hates you. Remember what I told you, a servant is not greater than his master. If they persecuted me, they will persecute you as well. And one chapter later, he simply says, as succinctly as he can, Jesus does, in the world, you will have trouble Now, in the mind of the American follower of Jesus, weird things happen because many of us know that these verses exist, and yet at the same time, for many of us, for me certainly, you know, when bad things happen, when seasons of hardship and suffering come, we so often are asking the question, why, you know? We are offended in our inner being. We want to say something like, where has God gone? I feel abandoned in this. When here it all is, Jesus has said that this is the story of his people. That there's a conflict going on in the world. And in this world, you are going to have trouble. This reality is vexing to many of us who've grown up in the American world. We like stories that end happily ever after. And I want to assure us all that the gospel story does, in fact, end happily ever after. It's part of what's so alluring about it. It ends better maybe than any story ends. Every tear will be wiped away. All death and sickness will come to a final end and will be no more. Every oppressor and abuser called to account, brought to justice. And over and over again, in the New Testament and in the Old, the writers of ancient scripture tell us that the righteous will shine like stars in the universe. That every small act of generosity and justice will be remembered, will be put on display for eternity. The gospel friend, story, friends, ends very, very well it just doesn't do so in 45 minutes you know it doesn't do so in one season that you could binge watch over a weekend it's a story that's unfolding and it's a story that calls forth from authentic disciples of Jesus patient endurance and courageous love and we can endure patiently and we can love with courage, because Jesus speaks to us about our suffering. He not only foretold that it would happen, but he made a promise to us in the midst of it. There are numerous places we could go, but listen to these words in John 16, verse 20. He said, Very truly I tell you, you will weep and mourn while the world rejoices. Your pain will be great, he says. You will grieve, but your grief will turn to joy. And then Jesus does something that I want to recommend most men do not do. He uses a birthing mother as an analogy. That's not something men should do lightly, but we're giving Jesus his due here. Verse 21 Jesus says, A woman giving birth to a child has pain. Because her time has come, but when her baby is born, she forgets the anguish because of her joy that a child is born into the world. So with you. Now is your time of grief, but I will see you again, and you will rejoice, and no one will take away your joy. Jesus is saying to his suffering disciples, you can lean into suffering, you can face suffering. You can open the door to your own suffering and to the suffering of the world around you without fear, because I am with you. It just as a mother-giving birth. Trust that there is life that is coming forth. You can trust that in your experience of suffering, I have not abandoned you. And with my spirit at work in you, there is something coming into being in your character and in your impact in the world There will be a source of joy that no one could ever take away. Do not give up. Do not close your heart to one another or to your own pain, says Jesus. The Apostle Paul, later on in the New Testament, in 2 Corinthians chapter 4, took that idea and said it this way. He said, outwardly, we are wasting away. We're sick and we're abused and we're getting beat up, but inwardly, we are being renewed day by day. God is doing something to us on the inside. He will make you into a new kind of human being. He says, our light And momentary afflictions are achieving something for us. An eternal weight of glory. One of the great themes of the Gospel of John is, in the midst of the suffering, there is a call to come together. There is a call to love one another. That's one of the things that's being birthed. A deeper, sturdier, stronger, more persevering kind of love. You know, one of my favorite authors, Kate Bowler, she's a Duke Divinity School professor out in North Carolina, stage four cancer survivor. In her podcast, she talks about how it is that even amongst friends, in America, we don't know how to tend to one another in suffering. And she talks about how it is that even even her friends kind of avoid her, abandon her in the midst of her pain. They want to bring a meal, but after that, people don't know how to care for me, Kate Bowler says. In the midst of our suffering, we are invited to put down our guards, to come close to one another, to hear one another's stories, and to pray for one another, and to find in the midst of that, that the beauty and power of God is at work. So with all of that said, one of the expressions of coming closer to suffering is to welcome Robel here today. I'm so glad that we have friendship with him. Our church has given uh, financially to the ministry that he represents, and you'll have the opportunity to continue to do that later this Advent. But for now, let's welcome Rebel Chimeda. Thank you. Can I say, you know, this requires some translation. A general secretary, we don't have those in the United States. That means you're in charge of everything, right? Yeah, that's a national director. He's the
1: boss, man. (laughs) (laughs) Thank you so much for the warm uh, welcome and for the opportunity to uh, to share our stories with you. Um, We are so grateful for the partnership that we had. Uh, you know we are so blessed uh, with with this partnership, and I'm so grateful uh, for this partnership. Thank you so much, Brad, for the wonderful message. Um, yeah, th- the world is passing through a huge, you know, persecution. Majority of the world, uh, Christianity is passing through a very severe persecution there are so many uh, brothers and sisters who are uh, living in asia who are passing through a very severe persecution and uh, particularly in the muslim world uh, christians are having a huge persecution at the same time even in some parts of the europe and latin america you know, suffering and persecution might have different kinds of form, but um, you know, as long as they are coming from your faith, we 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 we, we regard them as persecution in one way or the other. Um, you know, as part of uh, being you know Christian community, you know followers of Jesus Christ, we are also passing through. Persecution in one way or the other. Um, uh, I'm just am just going to to uh, to to tell you a story about w- uh, our sister Saada. Uh, Saada was uh, born and grown in a Muslim family. She had so many questions during her childhood, you know, uh, about her faith. But for for uh, m- you know, a Muslim girl growing in a Muslim family uh, and community, uh, asking questions is is not allowed for, you know, uh, is not allowed. So she was just told to believe what she was told, you know. So uh, it was very difficult uh, time for her, but she came to one of our universities. Our universities are secular, by the way, meaning that we are, not, we are not allowed to do any, you know, spiritual activities inside the campus. And that, ha- that, that trend or that culture has come from, uh, the, 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 you know, the, the re- rules and regulations uh, that has been since the communist region. Ethiopia has gone through the communist region for 17 years. And there were so many, so many brothers and sisters who went to jail for their faith. And there are so many rules and regulations which suppresses religion. Still, still, uh, still, now. So one of the one of the laws that prohibits, you know, those kinds of religious freedom, you can see it in the, in the. Uh, in the universities and campuses. So what we do is we usually uh, equip our students so that they may be a living witness to their friends. We call this friendship evangelism or one-to-one evangelism. And uh, we equip our students, you know, just to pray for people like Saada and also to, to, to make, you know, intentional friendship with those kinds of people And finally to share their, you know, faith. And, uh, you know, uh, uh, at one time, Saada was sick. And one of our uh, uh, students um, uh, helped her to go to the, you know, to the hospital and got some medicine for her. And intentionally she just befriended her. And she came to Christ. The first persecution just came to us, to, to Saada from her family. You know, she, I mean, she is a very strong lady. And I can see how God has really done his own character in her as she went through those very difficult times. And, uh, uh, you know, Saada, wisdom, all those persecutions, overcome all those persecutions, and finally, uh, she brought her mother to Christ. That's a huge deal, right? So praise the Lord. Then, yeah, yeah. So uh, then, then Saada became, you know, graduated and became professor in one of the universities, which is located in a very hostile uh, uh, place, particularly in terms of, you know, religious freedom. And uh, that, that place is highly dominated by Orthodox Christians. But to your surprise, many of the persecution on the, on the uh, followers of Jesus Christ comes from the Orthodox Christians because that, that church is, you know, um, you know state religion. And they consider evangelicals to be a trait for their religion. Because so many people come to Christ even from that religion. So there's a kind of hostility. And she was really surprised by the fact that another persecution is coming from Christians as way. And even to, uh, uh, to, uh, at some point, at some point uh, she was in prison. As she was serving the students in the university, and the university itself, you know, the, the university itself just threatened her that she's going to lose her job because of her face. But Saada is a very strong, you know, lady, and still she is, uh, you know, serving students. She is serving uh, the, ch- I mean, the the, the the body of Christ, and we are so grateful about Sa'ada. Praise the Lord. Ta- but Sa'ada is a, a single story. There are thousands of people who are going through uh, this kind of harsh situation, you know, um, a hostile situation. Not only in Ethiopia, but also in other parts of the world, including all the regions like Sudan, South Sudan, Somalia. The church is being burnt and so many people are in jail and i can i can name like t- like dozens of names from Eritrea in which they are in jail for the last i don't know 20 years by the way due to their face you know i i, I know someone who have been uh, you know uh, a minister for young people like ivasu uh, uh, you know, a campus staff for the, for the Eritrean student movement, but he is in jail for the last 20 years. We are not sure if he is alive or not, but God sustained their faith. Praise the Lord. God sustained their faith. And whenever you are, whenever you are talking to those kinds of people, you'd not get bitterness. Rather, you'd get Love. Rather, you'd get, you know, a passion for the gospel. You'd get hope, a hope that surpasses all the hopes of this world. Praise the Lord. So this morning, I'm going to ask you to pray with me for those Christians who are living around the world who who are passing through uh, these kinds of persecution and also these kinds of hard, uh, you know, hard situation. And I would ask to, to stand if it's convenient for you to stand and pray uh, together with me, praise the Lord. Yeah. Yeah. So whenever we are, you know, whenever we are praying in Ethiopia, we 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 are free to 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 lift our hands to the Lord and say Amen whenever you are convenient. So you can do that, you know. So let's pray. Yeah. Father God, thank you so much for the wonderful message that you have provided us this morning. Thank you so much for the fact that we are highly connected to one another through the body of Christ. Thank you so much for the opportunity to pray and to remember those who are heroes in your kingdom. Those who are passing through very difficult situation for... Uh, for their faith, for, for, for them to be the followers of you, Jesus Christ. We thank you so much for the River Church as we consider them in this moment. We pray for our brothers and sisters who are living in Asia, country, who are under repressive regimes, We also consider those people who are living in the Middle East being highly hunted by the Muslims, radical Muslims. We also consider those brothers and sisters in Africa who are passing through a huge persecution due to to their faith, coming from the repressive governments. We also consider those people who are Uh, passing a huge persecution in South America due to the systemic injustice that they are experiencing. Father God, we bring all those people into you so that you may rescue them, so that you may deliver them from evil. And also we pray that you just make your own character in them. We know that persecution purifies the church. We know that persecution uh, uh, brings so much joy in you. Persecution would just bring so much pleasure in you. We pray that you would just give them the joy in you. We pray that you just give them the pleasure that, that no one can give uh, in this world. We also pray that for those people who are persecuting this time, we pray that for, for those people who are putting pressure on the Christian brothers and sisters, deliver them to, your, to, to, to yourself, reveal yourself unto you, as you did for Paul. And we pray that, uh, we pray that we would be filled with love, not bitterness, as we are passing through those kinds of situations. And we pray for our brothers and sisters not to be filled with bitterness, but by your own love. Because when when you when you suffered, you say, "Forgive them." Yes. And we just we just pray that you just fill our our heart with your own love, and with uh, with, with 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 a spirit of forgiveness. And also we pray for the brothers and sisters who are passing through such desperate situations. We pray that they would not be filled with hopelessness, but rather they would be filled with hope which surpasses everything. We ask you all this in the mighty name of Jesus Christ. Thank you so much. Amen.
0: Thank you so much. What a gift and a powerful thing to hear Robel's voice and to feel his heart and to have him pray for us. I want to recognize it's a jarring thing to hear some of the stories that he tells, and so I'll remind us that uh, later on uh, in a few weeks, we'll have the opportunity to give, to provide practical relief, through our Advent giving campaign, so you can be thinking about what it might mean uh, for you to participate in their relief, the relief of our brothers and sisters. But as we transition ourselves towards worship, I want to invite us to s- sort of expand uh, our awareness about suffering in the world around us. Sometimes when people talk about extreme suffering in other parts of the world it could feel like it has to minimize our own suffering the suffering that we see around us like maybe i should just be quiet about the things that cause me pain and i really think that is misguided for us the god who loves ethiopia is present with us today to form us as a people of greater faith and confidence that he sees and cares for our suffering, that he sees the suffering that is in our circle of concern, in our broader families, or in our own hearts, or in our neighborhoods. Living in Silicon Valley, sometimes I feel like we've all paralyzed in that. It's like we don't know how to move towards that pain. one of, I was just talking to someone in my staff, uh, this past week, and she was just saying, it's like, oh, I talk to so many people who keep their pain to themselves, you know? They don't know how to say, would somebody please pray for me? Or I'm carrying a burden about somebody else in my family, and it feels heavy to me. Would you have a few moments to pray together that our burdens might be lightened, and that the love and power of God would be expressed through us. So that's what I want to invite you to uh, turn in uh, twos and threes to do in just a moment. Um, Let's read this one text together. This is from John 16, uh, verse 33. And I just want us to, to say these words aloud so that they're sort of etched into the neural pathways of our minds and into the deep parts of our souls. Let's say it together. I have told you these things so that in me you may have peace. In this world you will have trouble, but take heart. I have overcome the world. Christ overcame the powers of the world in his death and resurrection, and that overcoming power expressed in the darkness of our lives as we pray with hearts of faith. So turn in twos and threes. If you're not a person that prays out loud, you could just chat in your group about where it is that you're aware of suffering, either in the world or suffering that you're carrying today, something that you're connected to. But if you're a praying soul, I want to encourage you to be bold in turning to just express that concern in a heartfelt prayer. So let me pray for us, and then I'll turn us in twos and threes. God, we ask for the outpouring of your Holy Spirit upon us that you would birth new life in us and through us, the possibility of joy, and hope, and love, even in the midst of burdens, even in the midst of pain. We pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen. Turn in twos and threes. We don't have a long time here, so just go straight to prayer, and in a few moments, Kevin will come up and lead us out of that into worship.